Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indefensive Plants podcast, the official podcast of indefensiveplants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How is everyone doing this week? Before I begin, I just want to say consider supporting the show over at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash plants. There's a lot of great kickbacks over there, but the best thing of all is it helps keep the show up and running. I literally, and I mean this, could not be doing this show without the support of my patrons each and every month. So thank you to all of them. But today, I've got a really exciting book to talk about. It's called A Gardener's Guide to Botany, The Biology Behind the Plants You Love, How They Grow, and What They Need, and it's written by someone you'll be familiar with if you've been listening to this podcast for any length, Dr. Scott Zona. He's a plant taxonomist by trade, but he's really, in recent years, turned his eyes to plant communication, getting people interested in plants by understanding them better, and that's exactly what this book has done. So no matter how interested you are in plants or gardening, there is something in here for you. It's beautifully illustrated by Preston Montague and a bunch of others, uh, but it's just a fantastic book and I can't sing its praises enough, but I don't need to tell you all that because we're going to be talking about it. Let's just jump right into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Scott Zona. I hope you enjoy. Right, Dr. Scott Zona, it feels like forever since we last spoke, but for those that haven't listened to previous episodes, let's start off with a brief introduction. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Uh, my name is Scott Zona. I uh, live here in uh, North Carolina now, although I did most of my professional work down in South Florida. Um, I'm a taxonomist by training, but I've sort of branched out into other areas of botany, uh, but um, yeah, uh, plants, uh, palms, palms and salvias and liverworts are, are my, my thing. Nice. Great, great combination. Odd, but nonetheless interesting. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think you've really expanded since, uh, the, the text strictly taxonomy days, I guess I could say. And now you're communicating botany to the masses with this incredible new book, A Gardener's Guide to Botany, The Biology Behind the Plants You Love, How They Grow and What They Need. Now, this should be mentioned that by the time this episode comes out, it's still in the pre-order phase, but everyone needs to put this on their holiday shopping list. Uh, it's a phenomenal well, book. It, actually, Matt, I got just got good news just yesterday. Um, apparently, uh, the production is running ahead of schedule. And although it still says on like Amazon that it's not due out until January 10th, they're now saying December 6th or 10th. I can't oh, remember what dang. he said, but... <laughs> Well, I was so excited, I forgot what he said. That's phenomenal. So it'll be out before the holidays. Well, perfect. Then all the more reason to put this wonderful book on the list for holiday shopping, because I, I think even Jane, our friend Jane, said it. This is the book we've been waiting for. I mean, they, they, she couldn't have encapsulated it better, because really, we're looking at a book from a botanist, but also a gardener. And those worlds, sadly, don't hang out as often as I think they should in ways that are as conducive or at least digestible as what you've made here. So where did the impetus for this book begin? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I am a gardener and, and then in fact, my undergraduate degree was in horticulture and oh. then, um, but you know, gravitated toward botany and the, the science end of it uh -huh. uh, over my professional career, but I never gave up gardening. Uh, and it was during during the, the COVID lockdown phase and, and, you know, during those horrible months where we just couldn't go anywhere and couldn't do anything, <laughs> um, 
I was chatting with my my friend Natalia Vasquez, who uh, I know her. She was my yoga instructor. Oh. Uh, but she she teaches uh, on. Uh, she was doing teaching online uh, through uh, her uh, heart and brain uh, organization, and I was. And she said, "Well, you know, you should be teaching botany." And I and she said, "Well, you know, and you don't need an institution behind you. You know, you get a you get a Zoom account." Um, you can advertise on social media, you can, you, you know, you can do PayPal. And so I put together a course called the botany of houseplants, because you know, houseplants were so, <laughs> so big and still are pretty yeah, yeah. important and exciting, people are really into it. And it was very well received, I got a, a lot, I had lots of students sign up for this course. And it was just for four uh, sessions over zoom, and we had a great time. And, nice. and, um, and it caught the attention of a publisher Ooh. who contacted me and said, we were looking for a book on the botany of houseplants. So I said, great. And, you know, I put together a proposal and we submitted the proposal. And apparently the powers that be in, in the publishing world came back and said, well, houseplants is a little too niche. Mm. Um, how about expand it to gardening in general? And I said, well, I can do that too. So uh that's kind of how it all began um nice and and so i had this kind of my lockdown project i had a, <laughs> a, a about a year to work on it and uh uh then uh you know been working away doing dealing with the proofs and and getting all that done and so now it's great to see it finally come to fruition and have the book in my hands that's fantastic and i i love sort of the silver linings that are coming out of the post-covid world in so many ways, um, is, is just how a lot of people turn to their creative side, whether that be writing, doing art or gardening. And, and I think really all of the expressions and more are in this book, but what excited me is, you know, I get a lot of publishers reaching out, publicists reaching out saying, Hey, we've got this great gardening book. And I love that people are trying, but so many gardening books to me don't take the right angle. It's mostly about the design element, the colors, they treat plants as sort of just colored texture and and not much about the biology and to me to really love what you do and and get into gardening in a bigger way understanding the plants just truly enriches that experience far beyond just the purely aesthetic side of things yeah i i totally agree um and i you know i hasten to add that this is not a book about how to grow plants right right it's a book about how plants grow um and do i think it'll make you a better gardener yeah i do because um uh, you know, understanding how plants grow translates into how you garden and how you care for plants. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's it's for gardeners, but it's uh, it's not a how to grow book. Right. And that's it, another form of appreciation. And I'm happy you made that point is I don't like these recipes for success, so to speak, because everyone's situation is different. My yard is different than my neighbor's yard, let alone someone in a different area of the world or country or state even, no matter what scale things are different. But to understand plants and how they grow, why they do what they do, what they're trying to do as organisms, I think elevates that level to whatever scenario you're dealing with in the garden. That's the idea. Yeah. I mean, this, this, you know, I was writing with kind of a, um, a global market in mind. So I wasn't certainly not going to um, make you know, horticulture recommendations uh, <laughs> beyond, you know, the most general sort. I, I do have a few horticultural tips 
tucked away in the book, but um, it's it's not a, a how to grow plants precisely for that reason. I mean, you know, growing is so so regional, so local, and and to to write a, a book that's going to be marketed internationally, just I you know I certainly wasn't up for that. Right. But to talk about how plants grow and what they're doing, how they're interacting with their environment, that's something that I think can be applied all over the world. And uh, so that's kind of what I set out to do. Definitely. And achieved. But when you think about it from sort of the gardener's perspective, I have a lot of conversations with gardeners. Not all of them are necessarily like plant fans. Again, they are more on the aesthetic side, which no judgment. If that's what you're into, that's what gets you in by all means. But from that crowd, one of the things I like to, to bring up is, is a lot of them will say, yeah, I'm not really into the science or the botany. Why do I need to know that? It's not about that. So it, from your perspective, obviously, there's a lot of angles to tackle in that sort of mentality is, what would you say to that gardener that would say, I don't care about the botany. I don't care about the science. I just want beautiful plants. What about your book will help them see beyond that, that limited mindset? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've had similar conversations and um, conversations with, with, with students who tell me that, you know, after, after taking a course in botany or, or, or plant taxonomy, something like that, that suddenly this, this green wallpaper that's all around them suddenly <laughs> comes into focus and they can see, you know, they see individual plants and they, they begin to understand them and appreciate them uh, for what they are, not just, you know, tree or shrub or grass. Um, so, so to that person, I say, well, you know, this will help you uh, drill down into what it's all about. What, what is being a plant all about? How do these plants survive? How do they get on with going about their life? And, and, and how do they interact with everything around them? Um, so, and, and I'd like to think that that mindset and that understanding will expand beyond just your back garden but then also to wild areas and, and you know, nature with a big N. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, gardening is truly, to me, a gateway drug into understanding the bigger world around you. And it's one of the reasons, again, you can put me anywhere on this planet. And it may not be the best scenario for me mentally, but I will find something in nature to obsess over and to, you know, bide my time until maybe you put me in a better spot. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, when I think about sort of the conversations, again, that I have with people about this, this book to me elevates it beyond the, I just want purple here, or I want blue here, and red as a backdrop. And suddenly it brings into focus the fact that, although we may understand like killing something means it has to be alive, it, it really brings to the forefront that plants truly are these living organisms. And no matter how much we want to try to stronghold them into scenarios that may not be what they want... Uh, you have to consider that. And and to me, that is where this really will elevate people's gardening potential is to really look at plants as organisms and try to understand, okay, what kind of soil do they need? Why might they be responding poorly in this situation versus this situation? And it gives you some of the food for thought outside of that typical garden recipe sort of experience. Well, yeah, and and I sort of broke the book down into basically five categories that are kind of common to all life forms. So I said, you know, all life has to, has to grow, has to metabolize, has to, has to have space to grow. And that's both at the cellular level and at, you know, the organismal level. 
everybody has to acquire nutrition. <laughs> and with plants, that also means sunlight, as well as water and nutrients or water and minerals from the soil. Uh, everything has to defend itself because wherever you are, whatever you are, there's somebody out there that wants to eat you. Uh, and then all organisms have to reproduce. Generally, it's sexual reproduction, but not always. And then this the new generation has to disperse, has to find a way to get out there in the world and claim their own little piece of the world. So those five things, growth, acquiring nutrients, defense, reproduction, and dispersal were sort of the five areas that I wanted to focus in on. And so devoted, you know, chapters to each of those. Um, and I wanted to, you know, even though I'm, I'm talking about gardening, garden plants, you know, domesticated plants for the most part, I want to stress that, you know, they have an ecology. They, mm -hmm. they interact with things in your garden, you know, I don't think we have as much control over our gardens as we think we do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you talk about all the all the you know the microorganisms, both underground and above ground, uh, you know, visitors to your plants, be they beneficial or harmful, um, you know, there's all this going on, all this ecology going on in the garden, and um, I sort of wanted to take what I know about ecology and ecological studies of wild plants and sort of bring that into focus in the garden and show that garden plants have ecology and you know they're doing all the same things wild plants are they're just doing it in a garden yeah and kudos to that because generally what you'll have is botany books and then ecology books because they're both massive topics that are often hard to tackle and and collaborate in a nice way uh, you've managed to do that in, in what is a very digestible space. But, Thank you. <laughs> of course. But when you think about, again, going back to this idea of looking at plants purely for the physical properties, the color, the texture, that sort of thing, it's ignoring all of the other things that make gardening successful or not, but also very enjoyable or not. And what's nice is it kind of emphasizes that, yes, our domesticated plants are different, but they're all anchored in reality, they're all they're not that far from what their wild congeners really were. And when you consider that, things start to pop into place. But at the same time, in the bigger picture of what this book really has accomplished is you've made it approachable in the sense that you're getting an overview that's not diluted to the point where people are going, oh, this is boring if they know what sort of where they're at with it. But it's also approachable in the sense that anyone could pick this up and gain an immense amount of benefit from having it in their collection. Yeah, I, and I, I, you know, wanted to have really good photos in the book. And uh, I was fortunate to have a lot of uh, friends and colleagues contribute photos. Um, some of them are mine, but many of them are from other people. Um, I wanted photos that, that that were really interesting, not just, you know, pretty flowers, which, you know, I love looking at, you know, pretty flowers, um, mm -hmm. but that's not what this book was about. I worked with Preston Monahue, who's a professional illustrator, local, right here in, in Raleigh, North nice. Carolina. And he did beautiful illustrations and diagrams and uh, showing, you know, things that I needed to explain, but then also did these gorgeous little embellishments at the beginning of each chapter 
So uh, I, I'm really pleased with it. And I think it makes the book interesting to look at. Uh, you know, I don't expect people to read it cover to cover. Sure. Some people will. But even if you just want to dip into it, you know, for a half hour and read a few pages, um, <laughs> I think, you know, I think I think the book is interesting. I, at least I hope it is. And it's attractive that will draw people in, I hope. Yeah. I'm stoked you worked with Preston. I love his work. I've, I've you know, admired it. I know plenty of, uh, plenty of people that actually have his work on display. So to have it in your book is almost like you've collected very bespoke art for yourself, but for mm -hmm. your readers as well. But that approach to sort of, it's not a textbook. And I want to emphasize this. This is something you could have as a coffee table book or an, an information guide or just an enjoyable read, but you can bite off chunks at a time as you need or as your interests fit and that's really great because not everyone's looking for that long sit down lengthy oh god i gotta take notes sort of read in this sort of scenario <laughs> yeah it certainly was it's not meant to you know there, there's no exam at the end or anything it's not meant to be that kind of book it's it, it's it's it was fun to write and i hope it's fun to read sure and so going back off to kind of uh back up to where you were talking about having it in sort of every plant has to do X, Y, and Z. That approach mm. to exemplify the point you're trying to make, that is not an easy task. And if there's one thing I've learned following you all these years on social media and keeping in touch is that you seem to have a lot of ideas floating around, a lot of ways to illustrate those ideas. You have a picture for everything, it seems. So I'm kind of surprised you had to go. <laughs> but when you start thinking of examples that really drive these points home, the other part that really attracted me to what you did is it's not your typical examples that everyone is using all the time. You you pulled some esoteric ones in there, but still approachable. How the heck did someone like you in your position with all your years of experience narrow your focus and just get something on paper? <laughs> uh, well, actually, I probably wrote about... 25% more than I needed to. And they, the publisher had to cut big chunks out. So I don't know, maybe it's for material for the next book. There you or go. Yeah, you yeah. Other social um, media posts. But yeah, it was hard because there's so much to say. And, you know, the, my, my scientist training tells me I can't make these big broad blanket statements without, you know, noting the exceptions. And I had to sort of, you know, grit my teeth and make some some generalized statements sometimes that uh, I wouldn't write as a scientist, but feel it's okay to write in this sort of more general interest book. Um, but I did mention the exceptions when I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I even, I think I had to put a caveat in my preface of my book was just basically like, yeah, I know there's exceptions. Can we just operate from the fact that there is no standard strong rules in biology, especially in these sorts of realms? Well, as you know, Matt, plants can do damn near anything um, and they can grow, you know, pretty much anywhere. So, um, yeah, plants, yeah, there's lots of exceptions to general rules, but, but the general rules are helpful, I think. And they're yeah. helpful, especially for, for people that are new to, 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 to plants and new to, to botany, you know, it helps to have those general rules so that the exceptions are more meaningful. Even they, they stand out more. Yeah, more exciting too, because yeah. when you're like, ooh, there's the one that violates this one thing that we've exactly. held so dear. Yeah, I don't think it unwrites the science. And I, I really don't like when people take that moment. Well, actually, that's not you're like, no, 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 no. This is where biology, the fringes are where really interesting things are happening. And the more we understand sort of the standard, 
the more those fringes seem all the cooler and and we can actually a- ask really meaningful questions about why and how and to what extent is there a taxonomic sort of pattern or not yeah absolutely and so one of the things that struck me when I first opened or, or received this book, I should say, not opened it, was the cover image. It's Veratrum by the looks of it. Wow. It is. That was an interesting <laughs> choice for someone I would expect a palm almost. But Well, I <laughs> confess it was not uh, anything I had control over. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Typical publisher decisions. The, the art team uh, did that, and I loved it. When I saw it, I loved it, and I said, great. Uh, yeah, you know, it looks go great. With it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... They're all monocots at the end of the day, right? Well, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're monocots, so that's that's good. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the great things you do is that you don't go overly detailed into sort of those sub boxes that you would get in sort of a school textbook, um, but you do make a point to bold and really kind of pull out terms that you recognize people might not be readily familiar with. And I think that's an important way in if you don't want to completely strip the writing of all the feeling and emotion and, and sort of depth that other people are going to desire. So how did you balance sort of making those, those those moments or calling them out, I guess? Was that an editor that helped you with that? Or is that something that through years of doing this and teaching, you've kind of figured out where you need to do that? Well, I mean, yeah, I've got a pretty good feel for it. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I did have... Uh, um, I did have wonderful help uh, from the editorial team that would, you know, help me um, when I got a little too deep in the weeds. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's good. It's always good to have help and good to have someone else read what I write with fresh eyes so, because, you know, I, I get into my own headspace and sure. it's easy to start writing and forget the fact that people reading it may not have the, the same exper- life experience that I do. So, um you know, it's good to have editors. Yeah. I like yeah. editors. They make me look like a better writer than I really am. So that's good. <laughs> when they do their job, yes. <laughs> but okay, so you know, you, you set out to do this. You've you've kind of working through a lot of things that probably you had in your head, you had examples you wanted to come up with. But one thing that always amazes me is just how much you learn in the process of putting something like this together. Because it's one thing to go, yeah, I can kind of vision it in my head. It's another thing to execute it. And along the way, you find where all of those missing pieces are. So what are some of the things that maybe surprised you or you took away as like, oh, wow, I'm glad I did this because now I'm enriched. Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, definitely. Well, certainly tackling photosynthesis. I mean, you can't you can't talk about botany and you can't talk about plants without talking about photosynthesis. And it has been like 100 years since I had a plant physiology <laughs> course where we had to learn the Krebs cycle, which I learned and promptly forgot. Um, Definitely. So, you know, I had to go back and refresh my myself about photosynthesis. And especially, you know, I thought I had a really good understanding of CAM, you know, congratulation, acid metabolism and C4. But, you know, it was all sort of fuzzy in my brain. So it really helped to go back and review uh, literature about photosynthesis and, and some of the variants like CAM and C4, just to get uh, uh, make sure I had a solid understanding of it myself before I tried to write uh, and put things on paper. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, really good example of just how much we take that for granted is you think, oh, photosynthesis, we should have that on lockdown in terms of our understanding of it. But I still am amazed when I meet people today that study the process and they're like, no, we don't really know what this enzyme is or what this sub product is and where this eventually goes. I mean, 
I love showing my students that would complain at bio 101 of having to draw the electron transport chain and going like, you guys don't even know how complex. And then showing yeah. them what like a friend does on their posters and the jaws just hit the ground. You know, we, yeah, we take it for granted. It's super complicated. And, and, and again, I, I had to simplify because I didn't, you know, I, I'm not a, 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 an expert in photosynthesis by a long shot. So I had to simplify it for my own understanding. And then also to translate it into the book, um, had to get it to a point where it, you know, again, simplified, but not dumbed down, yeah. not, um, yeah. you know, I tried not to lose any of the, um, the key points along the way. Um, but yeah, it's super complex. A quant apparently it has like quantum aspects to it. <laughs> right. Which, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I picked up a paper once on sort of the blue fluorescent leaves and it started talking about quantum slowing of photons. And I was like, well, okay, that's cool. Uh, I can say that and it might mean something, but <laughs> not to me. Um, the, the, the section that really stood out to me, it was the section on roots. And to me, that is one of the most important interfaces a plant has with its environment. But boy, do I just, I don't understand root soil interactions, let alone when you get above ground and all that. But uh, coming back to sort of Preston's input here is like the illustrations that you get of pore space, the simplification of trying to understand just what a root has to do, how different roots can be from one group to another. And it's just mind blowing the diversity that plants have evolved rooting capabilities. Yeah. Um, that that whole introductory chapter where I talk about what stems do and what leaves do and what roots do, uh, those that all kind of grew out of social media posts that I had done hmm. probably a couple of years ago now, um, where I started you know thinking well what do roots do and I started posting like all the the different things roots can do they can do storage they can do defense they can uh, they can be uh, a source of asexual reproduction so all these things. And so that's kind of how that chapter where that the 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 origins of that chapter. Uh, and then yeah, um, you know, roots, the whole above below ground is sort of like dark matter down there. I mean, <laughs> we know it's there, but you know, most of us don't really get into it. So yeah, I, I had great fun reading papers about uh, the soil microbiome and, and the root microbiome. And it's really astonishing. Um, and complicated. Yeah. yeah. And again, uh, kudos for getting it into a digestible form for people to take something away from it. But there were definitely moments where I was like, I'm happy I know Scott. I know what his background is because there's a lot of palm examples because palms are doing really cool stuff with roots. <laughs> yeah. I tried to sneak in, sneak in some palm examples. So yeah. <laughs> kudos. Couldn't help myself. Yeah. It, 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 so those are those moments where the who I am smiles inside yeah. <laughs> and reading it. But, you know, one of the things I like to talk about with plants is that you don't have to go the botany route. You don't have to have a background in botany or ecology to really take something away from this book or really the field in general of gardening or plants, whatever way you want to tackle it. And when you start talking about like soil chemistry, pH, uh, you know, nutrients, what a plant needs, uh, it, it just is a really great illustration that like you really don't have to be the biologist to have a, an inroad into understanding a lot of what's going on in the plant world. But it's it's those connections that you might you might enjoy chemistry. You might enjoy understanding stoichiometry. And OK, now you have a little inroad <laughs> into the world of plants to it's, it's a it's a lens to look at them through. Mm -hmm. That's the, yeah. Yeah. Um... 
back in my my one of my former jobs down at Florida International University, I did these big posters uh, on the side of the the greenhouse that was um, where people walked by to get to classrooms. And so a lot of people walked by and they were not biology majors necessarily. So I was doing these posters and I would do, I would try to like uh, link in something from literature or something from chemistry or mm. something from uh, history to kind of grab people's attention and tell a botanical story, but relate it to some other field, you know, from these students who might be, might be English majors, they might be uh, who knows what, but uh, I wanted to try to hook people in. And, and I kind of had that same mindset when I was writing this book. So yeah, I hope that I hope people find something mm -hmm. interesting, even if they're not uh, botanists per se. Um, I hope it'll be something good. That's a great point to bring up about books like this is as communicators, we're always trying to break out of the choir. The choir's on our side. It's the people outside of the choir we really want to bring in and be like, no, 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 this is a cool realm. And I think more than a lot of other areas, gardening is a great way or at least a great avenue to take if you want to reach outside the choir because I'm constantly amazed at the demographics, I guess you could say, of people who love to garden. Many of them don't even really think about plants most of the time unless they're doing something in their garden. And so I think a book like this really helps push that envelope a little bit farther, getting out into the outskirts of town, so to speak, to say, hey, if you're into gardening, here's a little introduction to this plant thing you're doing. Yeah. And well, what I said before, I wanted people to kind of understand the plants in the gardens, but then I want that to kind of be a bridge to understanding the natural world in general. Uh, and the plants outside their garden, the plants in the wild, the plants in the parks that they visit, um, the little weeds in the sidewalk that they might uh, walk over. Uh, you know, all those things are interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. And I just hope that in having those interests sort of stoked, I guess, you might get people that leave a few more of those weeds around. Now, not the invasive <laughs> ones that are hurting the process here, but I can't tell you how many times people are like, what is this? Rip it out. And you're like, well, that was a really cool sunflower relative that would have produced beautiful yellow flowers if you just let it go. I know you didn't intentionally put it there. Or, you know, the little camasaceae, I guess they're euphorbia now, that grow on the sidewalks. They're fine. Let them be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you yeah. understand the bigger picture, maybe your gardening won't have a negative impact. And that's really, I think the goal in a lot of what we do, you and I, and many others listening is, is try to teach people that like gardening shouldn't hurt the planet. It should foster and help it along a little bit better. I think gardeners are in a great position to, to help. Um, because, you know, plants are so important to, to, well, to life in general, we can't live without plants. <laughs> um, so, you know, Gardening is is sort of, as you say, kind of that gateway drug into plants in general and biology and ecology. And, and, and I hope people do. I hope it does ignite an interest in people yeah. uh, when they read this book. Well, one of the things that also struck me was I love seeing familiar garden plants, no matter how common or rare they are in the horticulture trade, in context. You know, you open to the page on fuzz, fluff, and fur, and you see an Edelweiss. And a lot of people will be familiar with Edelweiss. You can buy them from a lot of nurseries. But disembodied in a pot in our gardens, you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. But seeing it with the backdrop of the alpine system behind it, not only do you gain appreciation for, oh, that 
has a connection to a wild space, but oh, that grows in the mountains. That's why my humid subtropical climate might be killing these things left and right. <laughs> yeah, growing up in South Florida, I knew Edelweiss only from you know the sound of music. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my grandmother used to sing that, and then one day I went, oh, that's a plant. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not often a plant has a whole song dedicated to yeah, it. That's yeah. true, that's true. I mean, you, roses and camellias, I guess, get lucky, but uh, not a lot of people singing the praises of, like, I don't know, monotropa <laughs> <laughs> or Bermaniaceae. And and then with that in mind, too, you know, not everyone can grow every plant we talk about, and, and nor should we really try in some instances because it might hurt them more than help them, but... When you think of these exceptions to the rules, there's a lot to be learned from these microheterotrophic parasitic plants that don't live in the ways that normal plants live. But when you start thinking about why they're doing it, it brings you right back and anchors you in that world of water, nutrients, sunlight, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know for for those plants, it's it's all about being able to grow on the forest floor where there's very little light, at least during you know this uh, in the summertime when the leaves are. Are, uh, are out on the trees. So yeah, these, these plants that can grow down in that dark area uh, and, and um, do it without photosynthesis and obviously then uh, getting their nutrition from other means. Yeah. And then, you know, when you think about what we're doing when we're gardening, most of the time, with the exception of conifers and ferns and some of the other groups, we're looking for flowers, right? <laughs> and... I can't tell you how many conversations I've had, even with pretty avid gardeners, where you're like, can we just stop to think about what we covet the most in a plant? It's its flower. Why is that there? And they're like, oh, f well, you know, for the bees. I'm like, N -n -n -n. bees are a convenient vessel for what that thing is really trying to do. And to bring it all back to reproduction, you just realize how weird plants truly are. And that's one of the other things that really I celebrate with this book because I read a lot. I'm immersed in the plant world, but those constant reminders are like, please take a moment to sit and appreciate that even the thing sitting on your windowsill per se is doing some wild stuff and nowhere does it get more wild with plants than reproduction. Oh, plant sex. We, we could talk for hours <laughs> about plant sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a crazy world. And I think again, we take it for granted because it's just so we get fruit. Okay, cool. You know, pollen's in the air. I hate it. Allergies. Ugh what's actually happening. And when you think about all of the energy that goes into flowering, I think it makes all of that color and, and joy that they bring all the more special because it is a often very complex relationship that those organs have with the surrounding world, the ecology of where they're inserted. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I wrote about reproduction, I, you know, there's lots of books about pollination ecology out there. Um, and I, and I obviously, didn't want to just repeat all of what's in those other books. Um, so I tried to phrase it in a way that maybe people haven't thought about it. And that is plants are putting out this bait hmm. for their pollinators. Um, and the bait can be colorful petals. It could be nectar. It could be pollen itself. Uh, or it could be weird things like places to sleep at night or, hmm. um, um, what are some food bodies? There's lots of other things that you know. I do, of course, uh, sexual partners. You know, the this, the whole orchids that do pseudocopulation, and um, you know, they're they're putting out a bait to attract these pollinators, so that the pollinators can do 
the job of moving the pollen from one plant to the stigma of another. Um, and uh, I thought it was fun to talk about the bait and the reward and the fact that lots of plants don't reward. They, <laughs> they have a bait there, but there's no reward. So um, I thought it was just a, di a different way of looking at pollination. Um, maybe not for, for you or me, because, you know, we're, we're used to this, but for people who, you know, just like pretty flowers, maybe they haven't realized that flowers are all about bait and it's all about sex. Well, talk about a deeper appreciation for what you're looking at. I mean, I know the human hand has had quite uh, an input on a lot of domesticated flowers, cultivated materials, but at the core of it, there's a structure there that's maintained on some level. And when you realize a lot of it is all, all of it is geared towards whoever the heck the pollinator might be, you realize that other organisms can shape each other in a lot of unique ways. And one of my favorite things is to think about the tricks that work no matter where they are in the world. Like I grow a lot of stapeliads and it is a mixed bag of joy when they start to bloom. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of hate that wherever I've lived, I always have to bring them in when that happens most of the time. But it works just as well on this continent as it did in Africa. <laughs> and yeah. just goes to show you that some things don't change, uh, whereas others can be like orchids, hyper specific, and you'll never see it outside of that narrow area where they grow. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Stapelias are great. I, I love stapelias. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was so happy to see Gigantia pictured in there. I was like, that's, that's my plant right there. That's <laughs> such a good one. And and talk about getting people to open their eyes beyond pansies and nandita and stuff. You show them a giant stapelia bloom, and as long as they're not too close to it, that's one of those things. You're like, that is beautiful, and then you're like, why does it smell like death? Oh, but yeah, but you know, you got to get your nose in there. You yeah. got to smell it. Oh, yeah. I mean, seeing a picture of stapelia is is great, and I love looking at pictures of stapelia. But there's never been a stapelia that I didn't when I meet in person, stick my nose into it for good or for bad, yeah. you know? Um, I love that daring soul you are, but yeah, I, to me, it's all sensory experience. You're experiencing another organism in, in some way. And to me, that is so fantastical because I think, you know, popular media, especially in the last few years has made a monumental, almost embarrassing effort to be like, we're exactly the same. There's no difference between humans and plants. And they're drawing all these conclusions to whatever they want to do. But what your book does and, and, and throughout the pages, not just on the reproductive chapter, is it says, yeah, you know, we're organisms. We have to do these things, but plants are doing them so different. And when you realize how much of a gap there is between what we are as organisms and what the entire tree of the botanical world is, you, you just gain a deeper appreciation for how different life can be despite similar ingredients. Yeah. I mean, you know, and again, they're, they're doing those five things that we do but they just do them in such a wacky, different way. Uh, and I and I occasionally did say, you know, this is how humans do do something. You know, we we have to eat food to get our nourishment. Um, plants have photosynthesis available <laughs> to them that we don't have. You know, yeah. and that's just we'll never know what it is to be able to just go out in, in the sun and and you know feed. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or, you know, some are breaking down rocks. Others are partnering with fungi that do the work for, you know, there's just, yeah. it's a wild world out there. And again, I think gardening truly is a gateway into it, whether people realize it or not. And that's, to reiterate, what is so exciting about books like this is, A, you're someone that understands plants scientifically and accurately. So you're not getting 
repeated regurgitated information that someone just looked up. You're getting it from sort of a source you can really rely on, but a source that also cares about people's understanding of these organisms and want to do better and understand them in more detail. And that's, to me, if someone's going to pick this book up that, you know, gardens but doesn't know plants, I hope they grab this one first. <laughs> me too. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, it's, I, I think of this as, as a way to kind of level up your, your gardening game. I mean, it's, yeah. it's um, you know, getting deeper, a deeper understanding of what plants are doing um, is, um, is, I think it's extremely satisfying. I, I love learning about plants, uh, especially the plants I grow. Um, so, and I hope other people yeah. have the same curiosity about the plants they are growing. And maybe this book will help ignite that curiosity. Well, more than a textbook or a botany book that's more scientifically oriented too. I mean, this is really the encouragement to do, you know, get out there, get your hands dirty, try it out. You're going to fail. Death is a normal part of life and maybe start with the cheap stuff and work your way up. But I know so, and you can probably mirror the sentiment. I know so many scientists that understand plants inside and out, understand ecology inside and out, you know, leaders of their field, couldn't garden to save their life. It's a, it's, a, it's a travesty, really, how few botanists and, and biologists and ecologists actually can grow the organisms and work around the organisms they study. So in many ways, gardeners have a leg up. So why not widen your field, widen your interest, widen your experience with, with really a true understanding of the science behind these plants, but also the knowledge of what it takes to maybe succeed a little bit more, whether you're novice or someone that's been in it for a long time. I can't repeat enough how refreshing this book was for someone who's jaded and sees a lot of books and pitches. So kudos again. Oh, Matt, you're too young to be jaded. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I was born a grumpy old man. <laughs> no, I mean that in like a colloquial joking sort of sense. I just get, I get inundated with a lot of, well, gardening for this, house plans for this. And you're like, okay, sure. You know, expert quote unquote, but this book really achieves what I think a lot of other people wish they could. And, and that's great to have this out there ready to go. Oh, you're very kind, Matt. <laughs> I appreciate your time talking about it. So with that in mind, uh, if people want to buy a copy of A Gardener's Guide to Botany, the biology behind the plants you love, how they grow, and what they need, where do they go looking? You've already mentioned it's now available earlier before the holidays, which is great. Yeah, it, it should be out early. It should be in bookstores early December, December 10th, I think. Cool. Um, and it's available for pre-order now in all the usual online places or, you know, your brick and mortar bookstore can order it for you, pre-order it. Um, the Book Depository is an is a, uh, online order, uh, bookseller and they have free shipping worldwide. Nice. I don't know how they do that, but they do. <laughs> okay, um, don't question it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. And I think they're even, the book is even at a discount right now. So, um, and although... Right now, it's it's going to take a few days before Amazon and Book Depository and all these other online places show that it's available in December. They're still showing that it's available. It's going to be available in January, but I'm told that no, uh, that metadata will update eventually, and it'll show that it's a it'll be available in December. So, yeah, in time for the holiday shopping. And uh, I know my Christmas list is covered now. I my I know what everybody's going to get for Christmas. Heck yeah. That's awesome. I, I have a few people I'm targeting with this book. So it's like subtle Great. hints. Maybe you should read this. 
No, that's fantastic. And hopefully by the time this uh, episode is posted, all of those info will be updated. But regardless, pre-order it. And and hey, if it comes earlier than you expected, yay, surprises, right? Yay, yeah. <laughs> well, great. Uh, Dr. Zona, if people want to learn more about you as a person and as a taxonomist, where do you recommend they go looking beyond the book? Um, well, the, my social media, you know, Twitter and Instagram are where I post. Um, so those are the places to look for me. Excellent. And, and people can reach out to me through that. I can attest you will learn by following him. So, and in a fun way too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Scott, it is always a pleasure to talk with you again. Congratulations on this book. You've achieved what you set out to do. I can't wait for people to pick this up and pour over what's in there. A shout out to Preston Montague and everyone that contributed photos and illustrations. They're fantastic. They make the experience so much better. This is not a textbook and it's not a soft introduction to gardening. It's the perfect middle ground for anyone that has a slight interest and want to up their game. Thanks, Matt. It's been great fun talking about it. Excellent. Well, hang in there and keep it up. I uh, can't thank you enough for what you do. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. All right. Fantastic stuff. I can't thank Dr. Zona enough for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us, but I also can't thank him enough for writing such a fantastic book. Once again, that's A Gardener's Guide to Botany. I will put up links on where you can pre-order or order this book in the show notes over at indefensiveplants.com slash podcast. You can also find ways to support the show in the show notes as well, including picking up a copy of my book, some of our customizable merch, or stickers. All of those help keep this show up and running, just like becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash indefensiveplants. But that is it for this week. I thank you all for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and keep checking back in. But until next time, Hang in there, stay healthy, and get outside if you can. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.